everybody. This is John Stewart. We're back with another Bitcoin in the Arts podcast. This is going to be for Saturday, the 1st of... What's the next month? August? <laughs> yeah, Saturday, the 1st of August is when you'll be hearing this. I have a very special episode for today. This is the first interview we've ever had on Bitcoin in the Arts. We're going to be talking with Mr. Bruce Pond, the CEO and founder of Ascribe.io. I talked about them a little bit in last month's episode, and hopefully we're going to dive a, a little bit deeper in this episode and, and learn a little bit more about them. So to start off, Mr. Pond, uh, how about you just give us the, uh, the basic rundown of Ascribe, like Ascribe 101 for people who know nothing about it, so they'll understand what we're talking about as we get a little bit more in depth. Sure, John. So Ascribe was built on the premise of, you know, most creation nowadays is happening in the digital world. More and more uh, content, files, everything that's of value is being created digitally. And one of the challenges there is, you know, once you share it on the Internet, you pretty much lose control. And the digital allows for distribution like this podcast to thousands of listeners but what it also does is it gets, you know, it, it operates on different physics. You can copy things. This is obvious, right? You can copy, you can share, it goes at the speed of light, you know. And in a world where intellectual property is the value proposition now, how do you control that? How do you make it so that people can live on their intellectual property, their ideas, their designs, um, their music, whatever that is that they create? in a sustainable way. And Ascribe is there to solve this problem. Yeah, cool. That's awesome. So one of the one of the main uh, technologies behind Ascribe is the Bitcoin blockchain. And I was wondering, uh, even though Ascribe uses the blockchain, it's not necessarily directly related to Bitcoin. How involved have you and, and anyone else in Ascribe been in, in the Bitcoin space? And were you involved with Bitcoin before Ascribe? So the idea for this concept came about two years ago. My co-founders, Trent and Masha McConaughey, they had been talking about art and such. And Trent had actually been one, you know, one of those early guys who bought some Bitcoin and played around with it and thought it was an interesting project. But when Masha thought about how do you get digital scarcity in art? How do you actually buy and sell digital art um, in a world where... You can copy things really easily. And then Trent was thinking about Bitcoin and thinking, hmm, this is interesting. It's only the second use case of digital scarcity in the world. The first being the DNS, you know, um, your domain name, so johnstewart.com, etc. And Bitcoin allows for digital scarcity. Now that's obvious. But two years ago, that was a, I think it was a pretty advanced thinking. And so he was working on the, on the Bitcoin blockchain and thinking through um, how to do this. He built a prototype already in October, November 2013. And then in, in 2014, it gelled in our minds that, hey, you know, this is something interesting. Let's take a shot at this. So we've been working on this, or actually Trent has been mostly working on this for the last two years. Um, and we, we went off the Bitcoin blockchain to start with because, I mean, it, it's the most well-known, it's the most stable, and, and it also has the most visibility and, and credibility at this stage. Okay. One other thing that I thought was pretty interesting, I was, I was reading up on your site, and... Um in the FAQ section, it says that you directly relate passwords to Bitcoin private keys so that you don't have to store passwords. Could you explain a little bit how that works, maybe? Yeah, so we, we really value privacy. We value also 
um, the types of content that people are putting up there. So to first to start with, one of the reasons uh, why we chose Berlin and Germany as a place to have this company was because it's probably got the strongest property and privacy laws in the world. And we like that constraint because I think that builds credibility. Second is we struggled a long time with a couple things about Bitcoin. Number one is, you know, you lose your password, you lose your account. And that's not reality. So at the same time, we also said we don't want to store the password. So what we do is we, we, um, we put, uh, we essentially have a hash of your password and, and then we, we can use that to authenticate you. So you enter in your password, um, we create a hash and then that's what we compare it to. So, um, in our, in our database. So we'll never store your passwords and we'll never actually even know your passwords. Um, and then, so we've worked it around so that there is a way for you to recover, not recover passwords, but get new passwords, etc. And that, that models the world a little bit better, humans better. Yeah, I think that's great. And, and one of the things that I, I really appreciate as I've been reading more about you guys is it seems almost like you're trying to take yourselves out of the equation as much as possible. You, you mentioned on the website how if you want to, you can use the protocol that you guys have developed to, to trade your property right on the blockchain without having to use a Scribes app or the API. Or you can even do it off blockchain, although, I mean, there, there are some hangups with that. But yeah, I think that's really great. I also, um, well, I'll, I'll just say that uh, we have a lot of people who listen to our show who are really involved in the liberty movement and anarchism and things like that. And I mean, we, I think the three of us who do the show have varying opinions on that kind of stuff. But one thing that, that gets discussed a lot in, in those kind of circles is IP. And I like how you guys are kind of approaching it differently. Could you, you want to maybe um, give us a rundown of, of your thoughts on IP just in general? Well, absolutely. And it starts from the point of, the individual should decide how they want their creation to be used and shared, et cetera. I, I think that's a fundamental, I don't think any libertarian will ever dispute that. Now, if you talk about different philosophies, like, you know, information should be free or that, you know, the marginal cost of production of digital goes to zero. So, you know, the price can be lower or it's not that bad to copy. I'm not sure I would necessarily agree with that. I, I mean, it's not something that I, 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 what I, what I really believe is that you should have control of your stuff, right? And there's different framings that you can have on that, and we allow that. So there's a couple different ways. Number one is we work with Creative Commons France as an experiment, and we're looking to expand that to global. And what that means is if you want to share your work with the world, but you don't want money, but you do want your name to be known. Like you want to be associated with it. And people kind of, you know, that's one of the fundamental kind of morals of our entire society across the world is that, you know, you don't claim stuff that's not yours. And so Creative Commons allows for you to give stuff away, but also keep your name with it. Well, we work with them so that you can, you can essentially have one of the six Creative Commons licenses and also say, this is mine. So that wherever that goes, my name will stick to that, even if I don't get money. And then there's the commercial side, right? It's all the guys who actually just live on creative, uh, on the, their creative efforts. And we allow for limited editions. We allow them to tran like, you know, register their stuff and then transfer. And that transfer mechanism that we allow is purely kind of like a notary service. Um, we do a couple other things there, but a notary service plus 
uh, licensing intent or transfer intent. So what we're doing is we're trying to just make it really easy for people to buy and sell their intellectual property. Because nowadays, when you're doing intellectual property, you need a team of lawyers. Um, you need several weeks to figure out what are the conditions of that. And we think that that's part of this concept of the UX for copyright and IP is broken. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure if that fits in the libertarian mindset, but I, I do think that that is something where I think anybody can agree that if you're going to spend your life creating stuff of value for the world, that there should be a way for people, A, to know who created this stuff fundamentally. That's, nobody will argue with that. And B, if they can keep this intent on licensing clear and, and people can find that out easily, there'll be ways that they can be monetized. Maybe they don't buy that specific piece of um, digital property, but if you know that this is the person, this is the name of the person you're, you're taking this from, you'll find another way to pay them back. I, I mean, I, I, one of the things of a scribe, and I'll just throw that in, is that you know, we believe that people are good. We believe that if given the chance, people are going to do the right thing. And just like Napster made it so that people could share content very easily, iTunes made it so they felt good about it. And right now, the internet, people are, you know, sharing content and taking content. And we want to be kind of this layer that allows people to, if they want, and if they can, to license things, to respect the creator. Yeah. I mean, from my perspective, I think that does fit in perfectly with libertarian philosophies. Because I think the reason a lot of people in those circles do have problems with IP is because until now, there hasn't been a way to enforce it other than appealing to, to government bodies. And, and like you said, our laws are really outdated and they don't really work in today's market for IP. And that's, I think that's why there's been such a reaction against it by certain people. And something like a scribe also would, would allow somebody to be able to prove ownership of something without having to take it to the courts. And even if they're not going to sue somebody you know, just just posting your your timestamp on a forum or something saying, hey, this guy's trying to take credit for this right here. I have proof. I, I think when people see that, most people are willing to, to give credit where it's due. And people want to know who's actually the author of something. So, yeah, I, th I think that's great. Another question I have that I didn't see really addressed anywhere on the site. Do you guys, um, are you working on or do you already have support for for multiple authors. Multi-sig Bitcoin transactions have been kind of a buzzword for a while. So I was wondering if you guys have anything like that that you've been working on. Multi-sig versus multiple authors, aren't they two separate things? Yeah, I guess. But I, the, the idea with multi-sig is that to make a transaction go through, you have to have M of N private keys sign the transaction. So I guess if, if you had multiple authors, it would be the same thing if you were transferring ownership to somebody else you'd have to have m of n people sign off on that yeah so yeah we are looking at that that's that's in our roadmap um we want to make it as secure as possible over time and you know we're building in uh right now we've we've just made the security a little bit stronger we're adding in things like two-factor authentication and then multi-sig is the next thing on that path yeah okay so to, so would that include then multiple authorship or is that something that you can already do yeah, that's an adjacent kind of thing. So multiple authorship wasn't is is something that we're aware of. We're, so we're working on um, this thing called a light. We're, we're essentially trying to understand licensing because it's a very complex shape problem. 
And within licensing is this concept of multiple authors at different levels. So if you think about music, right, you have probably about nine or ten different types of authors, somebody who's produced it, somebody, the songwriter, someone, uh, the singer. Um, you have different things like performance versus the, the recording um, authorships, et cetera, like that. So by nature, that's going to be one of them, uh, one of those factors that we, we have to build into our system because – in order to properly do licensing, you're going to need the authorship and, and how you do royalties, et cetera. Yeah, so that's that's one of those areas that we're working on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even in Bitcoin, that's still kind of under development. Um, having smart wallets that pay out to different people and stuff. So yeah, there's still a lot of work to be done there. But I guess I bring that up because I am a musician. So that's something that I've thought about before. Yeah, we've had a lot of people come up to us with this. Um, music is interesting because... You know, in total, it's about a $20 billion market, which is nothing to sneeze at, but it's really sexy. It's, it's cool because at the very high end, you have people who are earning lots of money. And then at the, you have this long tail of creators like yourself and thousands of others who are just creating music. And, you know, some of them get out into the wild and are just total hits and some stay in relative obscurity. But no matter what, you have, you know, somewhere in the range of no, you know, between one and 10 authors. And, Later on, when it gets played on the radio, you know, I've heard of musicians, they get checks of one or two cents every month and they have no clue where it comes from. They actually just want that to stop because it's an insult. Um, whereas, you know, services like Cobalt, where they can aggregate um, funds, that's that's an interesting model as well, right? Yeah, the, the music thing is also one of the things that interested me about you guys, because probably over a year ago, we did a story about a company called Monograph. I'm not sure if, if you've heard of them. But they had a similar thing. It was it was a blockchain notary service for art. But at, at the time, and I think still now, they only support images. And they said they were thinking about incorporating other thing, other mediums, but they haven't really rolled that out yet. So I thought I'd ask you, have you heard of them at all? Yes, we have. We've had, we've had some conversations with them. Um, we're interested in what they've been doing. And uh, I mean... I'm, I'm, I'm hope I haven't seen anything since the, their announcement, but I, I did hear that they did get funding. Okay, so is that um, friendly relationships, or is there a bit of competition? Do you think you guys offer offer different things or different business model or something like that? I think there's room for collaboration, but you know, if you're just some guy on the street and you look at it, yeah, it looks like we are competitors. But I do think there's room for collaboration. Yeah, we we reach out to them. Uh, we had a great chat, and we we kept it open on whether or not we could cooperate. Yeah, yeah, that's that's cool. Yeah, because I mean, to me, it looks like there's a lot of overlap, but I don't always know what's going on behind the scenes. So that's that's always good to hear. So while we're on the on the music subject, I guess, and and because that's one of my pet topics that I that I just enjoy talking about. What do you think about where it's going? Um, stuff with streaming and things like that all these new changes that are happening. How do you think you guys can, can help us move forward within that specific industry? So yeah, music, it's really tough. So once again, it's, it's this really high profile industry, inordinately high profile industry because everybody loves to listen. I mean, that was the origin why Apple made their breakout kind of thing. And it's also got the most challenges. I mean, that and movies, etc. And how a scribe can help is, I mean, we thought about different things, but I'll just give one use case. Let's say you are a young band and you got your core group of 500 supporters. 
What a scribe allows is something like saying, okay, we have 500 limited edition albums or songs that we're going to release to our core, core supporters. And, and these have the rights of replay. You can resell them and they're limited edition. So there's no, not any more that are going to be, be ascribed on the blockchain. There's only going to be 500. So we're going to just have a crowdfunding campaign. You can buy one starting at, you know, three bucks or five dollars and it'll pay for our next tour. And so your fans can buy those 500 editions and they own essentially kind of like a signed album from you. And then any other copies that get out there, well, that's, that's just the way the internet works. We can't stop copying. And that's something we came very early to a conclusion of. We, we, we can't do DRM watermarking. There's no way we're ever going to stop copying. But what you can say is, you know, if you're a real fan, you're going to own an authentic copy from us and that will pay for our, our next tour. So that's one use case. Another use case within Ascribe is exactly what you had mentioned before is this concept of tracking authorship. So even just at the point of origin, if you can say, you know, there are 10 people and then you have a key on how much people have contributed. So 5%, 10%, all the way up to 100%. These are all the people. um, And that's clear. Later services, and it doesn't have to be Ascribe, they can always say, okay, for this song, I'm going to do a lookup on Ascribe. And it says, okay, good. That's the key for distribution. Boom. So you could actually have this whole range of services like Cobalt, the collecting agencies, all these guys um, referring back to um, a registry entry in Ascribe to um, pay out royalties. And then a third use case, and this is kind of the most futuristic, is you know part of what we're developing in the technology of searching the internet for the visibility is the same type of technology that we could apply to um, music. So what? imagine if you created a song and you know that you're inspired a little bit by, I don't know, um, uh, Neil Diamond or somebody like that or Stompin' Tom Connors. or I mean, there's, there's a couple of country songs maybe that you're, you've been inspired by and then you just create your own little duty. And some of the technology we're building could potentially say, well, you know what? About 15% of that comes from Neil Diamond. You know, another 10% comes from a different song and then the other 75% is original. Um, we use machine learning for this, and this is a, more of a promise than uh, a product at this stage. But we see that there are applications of kind of being able to pick apart a song and say, where where does it come from? Uh, and then you get very philosophic in the sense of where is the point of creation and where is a unique piece of music being created? That's That's really interesting, and that's something that I think about a lot, and I'm sure I could talk about for hours but it's probably not within the scope of of this podcast. But uh, backtracking a little bit, I do I love your uh, your viewpoints on copying, and you mentioned DRM, and it with all the the kind of stuff that people have done with that and other things, it seems like the big companies are trying to force music today to work the same way as it did, you know, fifty years ago, when really that's not possible, and we need to figure out new ways to make it work and not keep trying to force it into the same, same box that it used to fit into. So I think that's a, it's, it's great to see companies like you guys doing that. And for myself personally, I, all my music up to this point has been licensed under creative commons. So I've obviously been okay with copying and, and things like that, but I love that you guys give artists the choice. Absolutely. I think that, that that's one of the things that we had. We realized very early on that we're kind of the natural partner for Creative Commons because Creative Commons was half the equation. It's like 
if I create something and I just, you know what, I'm not that I, commercial interests for this one, I want the world to have because I just think it's important. There was nothing on the other side that said, I actually do want to get paid. And Creative Commons solved one half of it, which actually released half a billion works to the world, which, I mean, we're forever grateful for. But what about the other part? And I think Ascribe kind of reconciles both of those worlds together and gives people the choice to say, I do want to share this with the world. I want to claim my copyright. Um, and even if you are Creative Commons, it can come back to you. It's a virtuous circle because if people know that it is yours, with, with Ascribe, you know, we give this layer of attribution that your name never leaves the work that people will say, oh, this Creative Commons work is really valuable. You know, what is this person doing? Where do they live? Oh, they live in Pittsburgh. Um, I'm passing through Pittsburgh. Maybe there's something he can do for me or she can do for me. And so that's what we kind of see. It's that attribution, the name of the person to a work. That's pretty much your currency. Um, in the digital world, even the content is copyable, but the actual person creating it isn't. And that's what's really valuable. So giving you the choice, you can choose to commercialize right away or give it in Creative Commons. But no matter what, whoever sees your work and sees your body of work, they'll know if you're quality or not. And then they'll find a way to compensate you. Like they'll hire you for a contract or just consulting or what have you. But those choices are more available now if we know attribution. Yeah, that's cool because I think Creative Commons is a really cool idea. And what you guys do... Uh, provides a way to enforce it. So, so I think that's really cool. You also provide a way to enforce copyright, and, and that's similar to Bitcoin. I'll make an analogy here, I guess. The, the reason that Bitcoin appealed to libertarians so much, especially at the onset, was because it's regulatory, but not regulated by people. That's, that's the issue, I guess, that People aren't against regulation. They're against regulation by a corrupt government or something like that. And and that's the reason I think that pushed many people to go towards Creative Commons because working with copyright, there's so much bureaucratic red tape and it's really complicated. And that's why people pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to lawyers to, to just sort it out for them so they don't have to worry about it. And And Creative Commons kind of offers a way out of that. But you guys really... Well, on your site, you said you're trying to democratize IP, and I think you're probably the closest I've ever seen anybody to doing that. And hopefully in the future, it becomes a reality. Yeah, we think, you know, one of the things that's really interesting with copyright is that it's national. Like, there's a global burn convention that talks about the general premises and the rules around copyright. And every country has their copyright registries. Most countries allow for multiple registries, so they don't, they don't have a monopoly on it. They actually just say, okay, whoever wants to do this, go ahead and register it. But, you know, there's the U.S. Copyright Registry, which does have domain over the U.S. But the problem is, if you claim a copyright in America, you know, what happens if it gets violated in Russia or um, somewhere in Europe? Yeah, I mean, what are you going to do? And your ideas spread so quickly. So... One thing that you can do is just make sure your name always stays with it. Um, and that's something that's going to happen globally now. With Ascribe, it's all global. There's no single copyright registry. So one of the things with the U.S. copyright registry that we, we kind of leverage is the fact that if you can prove that you've had ownership of that, you have something like 10 years to back claim it if you have that date and time step. And the blockchain allows for that, and this is what our service allows, so that you don't necessarily need to register everything, but the fact that you had the date and timestamp before, you kind of you kind of prove beforehand on everything, saving a little bit of money, saving maybe a lot of money if you create a lot of work, 
um, the fees on the copyright. And then let's say one out of a hundred of your pieces or works gets takes off. Well, you still have the right to claim that copyright on it because you already have that original timestamp. Um, and that's something that I, I looked at personally. And I, we looked at with an in-house lawyer about, and we said, yeah, no, that we can work this. Yeah. If, if you just claim on our service, it provides a little bit of protection. It's not a copyright protection, right? Like that's definitely not what we're doing. But what we do is we give you that timestamp so that nobody else can claim it. That's for sure. Right. Yeah. It's all about giving people options. So, uh, we're getting close to the, to the half hour mark. Uh, I don't think I have any other super pressing questions to ask you unless there's anything that you really want to talk about that we didn't hit on. Uh, we, we always ask one question at the end. So is, is there anything like that? And if not, I'll, I'll move on to my last question. Go, go ahead with your last question. All right. So, so one of the things we like to do anytime that we have an interview is ask them for a personal story. Most of the people that we ask are more uh, working directly with Bitcoin. I don't know how involved with Bitcoin you are personally, so I, I'm going to open it up and say it doesn't have to be about, about Bitcoin. But if you have like a funny or interesting or thought-provoking personal story about a scribe or, or Bitcoin or the blockchain or somebody that you've met while, while working on this kind of stuff, we'd love to hear it. Yeah, I'll, I'll give a story about a, a mother. So one of our artists described his work, and he made, made three limited edition copies, um, digital editions. And he gave one to his, his mother, I think, for her birthday. And she got it really quick. He just said, look, this is one of your limited edition digital works. It's on the blockchain, and it proves that you are the only owner um, of this edition. There's going to be two others that I'm going to sell, but you are the only owner. And she's like, so what happens if I give my neighbor a copy? Will she also own one? He's like, no, that's going to be a fake. You can make copies and stuff, but you are the only owner of this edition. And she loved that. She started crying. And she, I mean, that's heartwarming because even if your mom can understand that, then there's hope for blockchain to be spreading around the world if you explain it and frame it in the right way. So that, that was a, a really nice story that happened about a month ago in our office. Cool. Yeah, that's, that's really cool to hear. So I guess that's the end, people. Uh, thank you, Mr. Pawn. Uh, everybody say a nice thank you to him if you get the chance. Check out Ascribe. I really like what they're doing. Yeah. So uh, we're going to call it there, I guess. Great. Thanks, John. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. I had a lot of fun talking to Mr. Pawn and uh, chatting about Creative Commons, copying, IP, all that kind of stuff. It was really fun. Uh, definitely check them out and make sure also to check out the regular podcast that comes out every Thursday and check out the live show as well and that's every Wednesday 1pm Eastern Time 1pm to 3pm you can find all of that on youmeandbtc.com thanks again thanks again